Hey everybody and welcome back to the Fearless Training United Raw Knowledge Podcast with myself as always Alex Connor. And today I had the pleasure of speaking with a very talented young athlete and coach by the name of Liam Bygott. Liam is a junior professional natural bodybuilder and is also part of the very talented team at Hold Your Own based in Burley here in the Gold Coast of Australia where they specialize in physique coaching, strength and conditioning, body recomposition, all in respect to evidence-based and anecdotal practices. And in my opinion, one of the best facilities within Australia. And in this conversation today, we look at some of the pros and cons versus evidence-based versus anecdotal. We also look at the mind frame and the motivation, not only for young athletes such as Liam himself and others aspiring to achieve great things, but also a mindset that consists of growing, progressing, learning, and having that patience and the strength, the mental strength to overcome the adversity. I really enjoyed this conversation and there's a lot of golden nuggets and a lot of great knowledge and tools that you can take out of it. Whether you're starting off in the gym, you're already an established coach, or you're just someone who wants to improve your body composition, I believe you're gonna get a lot out of this one. So pay attention, if you have to, listen to it twice and be sure to share it on with others who you'll think will benefit from this as well. And as always, you can find out more about my guest Liam in the show notes below and also a little bit more about what we do here at Fearless Training United. Without further ado, guys, enjoy this conversation with Liam Bygott. All right, welcome to the podcast, Liam. Thank you for joining me today. Appreciate your time. What have you been up to? You had a busy one? Thanks, Alex. Really appreciate your time, mate. Yeah, I've been um, pretty busy the past couple of weeks, and I guess uh, leading into the 2019, I've had a few big things on my plate with uh, both work and then coming off to big competitive season and into some new goals uh, into this year. But yeah, I'm really grateful for the opportunity to be on your podcast and hopefully provide some insight and um, clarify any questions. Thank you very much, and I'm sure you will, and look forward to digging deep into some of those past accolades that you achieved in 2018 and some of the future goals 2019 and beyond. So what I wanted to start with, as we usually do, is how did you get into bodybuilding, natural bodybuilding specifically, strength-based coaching, what inspired you, just a little bit of a bio about yourself, what you do, and, and why you do it really. So I guess um, I got into the bodybuilding realm as many sort of younger males would have fell into the same way. I started out in the gym and had a real passion for what I was doing and it was coupled with the effect at the same time I was actually studying exercise science. So I had both uh, the physical enjoyment and then I guess also the career prospect to it as well. So I was sort of heading in two directions at one. I was taking things relatively serious in the gym and uh, my local supplement um, owner of, of the time I was living at in the Sunshine Coast, mm-hmm. I was sort of in, in conversation with him and he discussed the, the prospects and looking into doing a bodybuilding show and obviously the first one uh, was a very big learning curve to say the least. I actually ended up still placing uh, top three in my class which was pretty exciting at the time but yeah. coming out of that I learned an absolute lot as to what I did well and then possibly things I wouldn't do again or definitely do better moving into into the next into the next bodybuilding show and at the time I was sort of getting into the more crux of my exercise science degree and 
learning a little bit more about that with the textbook knowledge and I guess practicing a little bit what I was a preach and making sense of everything that there was out there because I guess there is abundance of information out there um, but unfortunately there's an abundance of stuff that might not be the best approach to follow so I was very lucky to have the opportunity to be coached by Paul Drone at the time mm-hmm. and I was an online client so I had some structuring going for both my nutrition and training programming and that sort of gave me got the ball rolling on some momentum and learning adhering to a training program, understanding what it means to be following particular reps and following particular sets because prior to that, I guess I really lacked in structure and that's what I find that a lot of people initially do is that they feel they're doing things efficiently and until they put structure there, things become a lot more measurable and manageable as you move forwards. So I guess if you fast forward then about two years, I was lucky enough to be coached and did another bodybuilding show and mm-hmm. obviously that one, I was a lot more successful at the time. Um, I took it through to Australian titles and it was, it was a much more efficient prep but again, another learning curve. I find that every time I do a practice things, you really learn a lot about yourself and possibly the protocols you adhere to, and you're literally manipulating variables with the body, so you can really recognize and lesiate, okay, you know, this worked well, but perhaps we could do this better as we move into the next one. And then fast forward another year, I competed in 2018, and that was obviously my most successful year to, year to date, and um, really, really enjoyed that process, and things traveled quite well for me, mm-hmm. um, and, I, and I've also carried that on with my studies, so I'm now working for Holdrone as a strength conditioning coach, nearing the end of an exercise physiology degree, and um, enjoying both the practical application in my career, and then also the practical application as an athlete as well, so I'm very lucky to have both of those aspects so tight related. Yeah, yeah, and and again, just such a great run in terms of marrying up the, I guess, the theory and the practical of what you're studying, and then also actually being able to be in the industry as an athlete, but then also coaching athletes, like you said, in a great facility. And, and you mentioned some really great points there, and, and some things that I want to delve into. Um, I think the first one is there's a plethora of knowledge out there at the minute. You know, people like yourself you're trying to provide a better knowledge, a better standard. What do you think are some of the main things that people can do who want to, you know, improve their knowledge, even just at a basic level, maybe whether it's an athlete or someone that just wants to improve their physique? Is there any resources or any things you think that they should be doing or looking at? It might be even the way you think um, about approaching the gym that you would recommend or that you've learned in your experience as, as a coach and as a client. I guess there's a lot of recommendations you can make and I guess to sum it up easily enough for someone who's starting out and I guess something that I've now recognized looking back on my past couple of years which have been relative productiveness is the investment required into natural bodybuilding or training itself and it's almost one of those things where you have to be willing to work so hard for um, each day with almost seeing zero to no initial return. Uh, however, long term, it's when you look back and you can recognize and derive all the progress you've made over that period of time. And you wouldn't have if it wasn't for each single day. That initially you might not see that response, but you know that long term it's working to the better good. So it's there's a big sacrifice involved. As far as, I guess, finding the right uh, tools or the right advice or the right direction, that really does depend on, um, I guess, the position you're in. So if you are looking at taking it to the extremity of a bodybuilding stage, it's probably highly wise to seek out a coach. And mm-hmm. in my advice, it's possibly a coach that can tick the box of not only practical application and can practice what they preach, 
but also has that experience and those hours under their belt that are very aware and have worked with a diverse quantity of clients and understand the protocols required and, and the differentiation that is, is exists with person to person. And so hopefully they'll be able to give you like, the right tools to follow to make the right decisions. And you want to spend your time wisely in the gym because when you sort of take out the, the forefront and the end of a, of a bodybuilding preparation, for example, you do have a finite amount of time in between. So you want to really be smart with your investment into that. Mm-hmm. Mm. And, I, and again, some great points. And I guess it's just going back to basics with a lot of things. And and as you said, there's, there is there is a lot of knowledge out there and sometimes it can be hard to differentiate between those, um, I guess, initial principles, if you like. And a lot of it is hands-on and learning and whatnot as well. And, and you're quite, you won't mind me saying this, you're quite a young bodybuilder. Um, and Absolutely. you've achieved yeah. quite a lot of success. I know you're very humble in that um, from your, your time in the sport. What is a message or any key takeaways for other young bodybuilders? Because I know there's a lot of young people out there, whether they want to take it to the extreme, as you mentioned before, or whether they just want to look good with their tops off. Is there any advice, because you're still in that age bracket, that you would offer the younger um age group of people who are going and lifting weights to maybe not just avoid injury but also to increase their results and their performance and you mentioned something you know which i think was really good about patience you know like you said it is as an actual athlete and even in bodybuilding in general you know you don't see a return very quickly on your investment but over time you do so of course patience is a big thing but what i guess from your perspective some of the key learnings and elements that you would pass on say if you could speak to yourself when you started lifting i guess it's probably for me looking back now on i guess as anyone becomes more advanced it's easy to look back on the past couple of years and see what went well and what you would advise yourself if you were talking to yourself three years prior to that and for me it's always been a tie-in of i guess correct structure or mm-hmm. i guess correct plan in the, in the approach you're heading and then work ethic and if you can tie those two together you've pretty much set up for success. Often I, I feel though that there can be a little bit of imbalance. So you might take someone with strong work ethic, but they might lack in structure. Or you might t- take someone with a strong structure and well-regimented training, but they lack in the work ethic. Mm-hmm. So not only seeking advice or I guess creating the fundamentals of the foundation and the direction you're heading at is important, but also be willing to give it absolutely everything you've got because it's a very difficult sport. And when you do really look at the period of time that you have, the amount of hours that you put in and the amount of hours it takes to get where you want to be, they're pretty farly outweighed. So for a lot of natural bodybuilders who you see or someone might aspire to could have been training for up to 10 plus or minus years, which is an extremely long time. Mm-hmm. So I guess you have to be willing to denote that it might take you 10 years to get there, but what you do now is going to derive where you whether you get there or not, or whether you achieve the physique you want. So investing that work ethic into correct structured training and nutrition is absolutely critical because time is a finite thing and it is always going to be against you. It's not very often that you'll hear someone say, I've got a heap of time up my sleeve. <laughs> uh, so that's that's one thing that I've often advised is that you've got to recognize the time you've got to have. You've got to break that into the structure that you need and you've got to be willing to work your absolute butt off uh, to, get, to get from point A to point B. Yeah. Yeah, some great points there again, Liam. So uh, kind of to recap on that, marrying the two together, setting an expectation for time, understanding the time frame, marrying the hard work and the application of actually getting in there and working at a certain intensity, but then also having a more intelligent approach and structure to training 
And again, having those things in unison and working to your advantage with that, that would be kind of, absolutely with that, yeah? Mm -hmm. 100%. If I were to look back at, because only being young, bodybuilding of 22, but I look back at the two things that I think I can say I did well. Obviously, there's lots of things that I can do better, but there was just two things that have it being fortunate enough to have the correct structure. Mm -hmm. And then I wouldn't say lucky enough, but having the right head on me to realize that I had to work as hard as I possibly could. And I did both of those things, and that saw me progress. And they're two things that I know I'm just going to keep doing. Mm -hmm. But there's obviously a lot of other areas that as an athlete, you can look at yourself and break down things you can do better as you move thoughts so i guess always always um looking at yourself looking at uh, critically in terms of feedback where can you improve never being satisfied not necessarily in a negative way but again never kind of relying on what you've got but always analyzing go okay well where can i improve or what needs to improve and and maybe that is from third party involvement and and to to segue out of that you are someone, you know, we, we've trained in the same gym together. I've watched the way you train for a fair amount of time. You are very focused. You're very dedicated. Where do you find your motivation comes from? Where do you find the hunger? Is it from previous experiences of you, that you've had? Do you draw inspiration from other external factors? Or is it the goals ahead of you? Uh, that is that what is fuels your fire, if you like? Like, what is it for you that really you know, allows you to continuously day in, day out, I and mean, it is a slog, and we all know this, to turn up, do the work, not only for yourself, but also for your clients. I, I guess for me, I've never really tried to, and sometimes advice to my clients is not to always be highly dependent on motivation, because it is something that comes and goes, and when it's there, it's great, but when it's not, it's not, and it's very hard to depend on an independent variable. So for me, I've just always enjoyed the challenge associated with training and the future aspect and the acknowledgement that you will never be able to do, outdo your performance in the gym. There is always something better you can do. So I've really enjoyed the challenge and the hardship that's approached and acknowledging how hard I have to work to improve as an individual. Mm. I heard a really cool quote one day that said that more often than not, 90% of people will give up to 40% of their intensity realm. And I just so hardly agree with that because as you will learn as an athlete, where you thought your failure point was, you've now realized that that failure point is so far beyond where you can actually achieve to. And it's the mental stimulation or I guess what you learn about yourself mentally and what you're capable of doing when you're so farly in the depths of your discomfort zone is when you really start to learn about yourself. So you really start to think, okay, I was so doubting myself leading into that. And if I had to acknowledge and continue those thoughts, that's just your body's way of bringing things into homeostasis and bringing it into the comfort zone. But it, it all starts when you're out there. And I guess I've just learned to almost be obsessed by that feeling. And it's something that I find through training just always seems to give me, regardless of how good or bad I feel or how much I'm doubting myself and acknowledging or, or, or not acknowledging something. Mm -hmm. I'm yeah. aware that it's the minute I get into that comfort zone is the minute that I'm, my body is outside of where it wants to be, but that's where I'm learning. And I feel you must learn in order to progress. You, you'll never learn everything. No one ever will. Yeah. And that's that's probably some hard truths there as well. Uh, I like the quote. I think it's very realistic. It's probably quite mm. accurate as well. Um, especially in this day and age, I think we live in a society which is, especially in Australia, we've got a really good life here You know, from someone who's not mm. from here originally. And it is easy to probably get sat in your ways. And again, the, the body... You know, from a physiological standpoint as well, not just a psychological one, he doesn't really want to 
it doesn't want to change at a certain point. You know, you have to cause that demand. So I like how you have that growth mindset of, you know, you look at the adversity and the pain and the challenge as a positive and you use that to acknowledge that that what drives you. And when you're feeling, like you said, outside your comfort zone, you, you are growing, you're actually making progress. And I think it is a, is a bit of a perception, Liam. Um, I don't know if you'll agree, but, you know, you might look back a couple of years ago when you were training hard and it was hard, but then you think about the training you're doing now. And it's not about being super hardcore, but the level of intensity that you may or may be able to apply and sustain now is quite a difference than what you could do before. And again, it's that taking time, right? You can't just jump in the gym and expect to do what someone of 10 years has been doing because you're just going to injure yourself and that's not the right mind frame. But having that acknowledgement to go, you know what, I, I need to go for a certain level of pain and, and adversity and know that you can give more. And when sometimes you think that you are going to give up and you've not got anything left in the tank, but you do, that's those times where you know that you can grow and you can look back and go, well, hang on. If I thought I didn't have enough then and I pushed through, then maybe I can push through and, and you know, reach even more um, great success, which I guess is ultimately what drives some of the, the greatest minds and physiques in our industry. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to ask, in terms of that, you know, having that mind frame and that mental strength, you prepped in 2018. Um, it was my first time. It was a big learning as well. And I think, you know, a lot of us at Hold Your Own, we, we all kind of went through it. For you, you'd been through it before. What are some of the things in prep when it gets hard for you that you kind of hang on to or keep you going? And again, I guess... What are the main differences between your first prep and this prep and any sort of takeaways that help you again sort of get in, sustain that momentum and and achieve ultimately what you need to do when it is at the very fine end of the pencil? Because there's pushing hard in the off-season and then there's pushing hard in prep and they are obviously two very different things. So I guess what's the disparity now in terms of prep? What, What do you find motivates you in that phase of your training? I guess there's a there's a multitude of reasons, and I, and having the benefit of being through a period, both you know in your prep and in your off season, you acknowledge that at the time prep feels like it's going forever, and you feel like it's never going to end, and all the hardship you're experiencing is just extremely overwhelming. Mm-hmm. But when you look back at it, you really think that wasn't that big of a time, and it was really just a scratch on the surface. And the whole period of time that you train as an athlete, and you know the time in your off season and those hard sessions, they're the ones that re- you really do remember. Whereas preps, it is just a period to get you where you needed to be. But you, so I sort of perceive it as a bit of a blur. It was a difficult time, mm-hmm. but it got me to where I wanted to be, and it was an enjoyable process overall and that's why I'll do it again but leading into my comp and anyone who's been in through it you can recognize and you're very aware of the challenges that you're going to lead into it's a far too hard of a difficult process to not give something 100% Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. I'll often have this client uh, this conversation with a lot of my clients and if I'll say that if you're not remotely 110% leading into it it's not the time to compete just yet because you want to ensure there is not a single stone that hasn't been flipped upside down before you step on that stage. So wherever it is you place, regardless of first or second or last, that is your absolute 100%. And that is an indicative of the best performance that you can bring to stage. Mm. If you're willing to only put in 99%, then you can debate, was that really your best? Mm-hmm. And it's far too hard of a pre- uh, sorry, far too hard of a period of time 
to be asking yourself questions at the end when there's already a lot of automatic negative thoughts going through your mind. You want to be able to put absolutely everything in, control absolutely the variable that is to control so that you know when you get on stage, there is not a single doubt in your mind that is the best you will ever look at the, that, that point in time. That snapshot is the best you will look at that point in time. Mm. And then you will take the time off, you'll improve, and then hopefully replicate that leading in. So it's that commitment that I make mentally before I start mm-hmm. is that there, you know, when it starts, it starts. There, There is absolutely no looking back. And if there is, then don't prep just now. You might need to take a little bit more time off and perhaps look at a couple of months' time. So that's sort of two things that I that I look at is, is the commitment that I've committed to myself. There's no one forcing me to do this and I'm going to give it absolutely everything I have because I'll look back at it and say it was really just a scratch on the surface and I can't wait to do it all again. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more um, with, with what you said there and specifically leave no stone unturned I think where you know there's a lot of athletes, and I think it's great that you're explaining that to your clients. You know, do you feel 100%? Can you give it everything? If not, don't do it. Because, like you said, it's even though it is a scratch on the surface, it's a period of time that you can't, you or you don't want to waste that time because it is a big commitment. Something that I learned, I think you have to be in the right place mentally, physically, mm-hmm. and financially. Um, prep because again, it it is. Uh, I think. The expectation, again, has not been set for natural bodybuilding. The standard is very high. It's only getting higher. If you are to do your due diligence and do your best and give your best, not only for yourself, but also to compete um, at a level with these athletes that we, we now see grace the stage, you have to give it everything. And like you said, anything less would just be pure robbery uh, of yourself. So I think there's some great points um, that we can take from that, Liam, and I, and I really like uh, your mindset and, and, again, how you coach that to your clients and, and sort of put it back on them and, and ask them the question because, ultimately, it's something that you can guide them through. You can give them all the information at the end of the day, but you can't do it for them. So if they've got that commitment and they've, they've made that commitment, then they're, they're more likely to, to stick with the plan. In terms of your coaching, um, do you coach mostly – uh, physique competitors do you have a lot of just general population clients what what is the ratio currently and do you have a preference of client that you like to work with mm-hmm. i guess um obviously having that that sort of study textbook background of me is with the exercise scientists i do really enjoy working with a diversity amount of clients mm-hmm. it, at any point in time i guess the percentage is never really the same there could be times where it's 50-50, um, sort of you could classify as generic clients versus your competition prep clients, uh, and that can be seasonal, leading up to a competition time, anywhere up to 10 people on a, on a given day or at a given period of time in a comp prep season, um, or as down as low as two. It really does depend on, I guess, the clientele demand at the time, but I enjoy working with any athlete, regardless of their goals, because for me as a coach, I'm just trying to fill the gap that like I mentioned, build that work ethic and understanding and try and fill the gap of that structure because that's what I know that works. So mm-hmm. I'm just trying to assist someone, giving them guidance to do that, whether that means getting onto a stage or whether that means getting their squat to a particular number a number, or whether that means just generally improving their body composition is, is sort of without my concern. That's, that's, that's where they want to be and I want to try and help them to get there. Um, for the most of the time, I, I enjoy working with that change because as a coach, it challenges me. And I like that 
okay, this might not be a competition prep client, but we nearly need to work on the fundamentals or the execution of a particular exercise, and that's a challenge, mm-hmm. and that brings out my skill set and doing my best to assist someone. Or on the other hand, it's, okay, this, this individual is, you know, four weeks out from a competition and they've done quite successful in that prior, we really need to make sure we're nailing every single day leading in. So there's, a, there's obviously a different challenge there. So it exercises different tools that I have to work with as a coach, mm-hmm. and it puts all my practical skills into place so that it means that I can hopefully learn as much because you could never learn too much and I don't think you can ever work with too many people and learn from that. So hopefully that means that my skill set and, and hopefully my quality as a coach hopefully improves as I, as I move on in advance. Mm. Yeah, and, and I'm sure it will, Liam, and that's it's a very assertive approach you have there as well. Uh, again, op, um, very optimistic as well, always looking at it as a growth or a challenge or a way to coach and guide and, and, and help your clients achieve the goals whatever they may be. And to dive into some more of those questions, especially for the coaches listening out there, can you maybe give us a rundown or a breakdown? I'm, I'm fairly familiar with some of it um, you know, from my time at Hold Your Own. How do you approach things uh, with your clients? Obviously, specifics is going to be very different, but what does the main structure look like? Could you kind of walk us through a couple of, um, I guess, systems uh, and uh, that you, you, you use with your clients um, in terms of like programming, nutrition, recommendations. And again, I know it's going to change for like a physique client to obviously a more general population client and generally, you know, depending on their goals, whether it is to, you know, lose body fat, gain muscle or body recomposition as a whole. But can you talk us through some of the, I guess, the main principles that you coach from and obviously within Hold Your Own, how, how do you guys do things? So we've always utilized a software called Recomposer, which is quite well-known in, in the industry at the moment. Mm-hmm. And for us, it's always, I guess, been advanced or it's um, been adequate enough for us to write tailored programming. And it's also provides the the requirements that are necessary for nutrition and the flexibility that may be required from person to person as well. I guess if you were to look at it from a broader spectrum and what the purpose is and the main things that I'm sort of thinking in when it comes to writing a program for an individual, regardless of where their goals are, because as, as we as you acknowledged, it's going to change from person to person. Mm-hmm. But with the training aspect of things, for the most of the time, the goal is to get stronger. And whether regardless of whether that goal may be or who the individual is, generally speaking, we want to see some improvement in strength. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of us, we will base it off the, the biggest movements or the big three, um, the squat, bench, and deadlift or, or thereabouts, so that we can sort of derive the, the backbone of someone's strength and we can ensure that are we seeing a movement in the forwards or backwards direction. Mm-hmm. And then we can use all the accessory movements, all the alterations in volume, training pro- programming, periodization, your meso blocks, macro blocks, et cetera, et cetera, to, I guess, alleviate the rate of prog- progress that we need to make. Does someone have 24 weeks that they need to improve their strength by, or is someone just looking at generally feeling better and, and a time isn't necessarily into play? So there's obviously the progressive overload approach and strength improvement is where it comes down to the training aspect of things. And that is a custom then if you were to look at what exercise we use, training volumes, total weekly sets, types of blocks that we'd run, the aggressiveness of the program or the regressiveness of the program is, is individually sorry, specific. Mm-hmm. And that's going to tailor into that nutrition as well. And for the most with nutrition, it's it's relatively basic if you look at it from a broader spectrum that we just need to be able to measure things and manage, manage things. So we need to be able to measure someone's intake, ensuring that they're adhering to that, seeing the response in their, in their protocols and how their body composition may alter, 
and then we just make manageable changes to get them to where they want to be. Is that gaining or losing body fat mass? Is that gaining or losing lean mass? And how tightly related to that, which more often than not, all the time, will niche into your training. So, for example, if someone's looking at pushing their body weight up and looking at maximizing muscle mass, we know that we're going to need to be substituting additional food intake to substitute the additional weight gain that they or all the weights that they're moving in the gym. Mm-hmm. So they are very tightly correlated. But if you look at sort of, I guess, a broad spectrum from nutrition, it is just sort of being able to measure and manage things moving forwards. Mm-hmm. So some some great simple tools, a very sort of evidence based practical approach. I've I've had a little bit of experience with Recomp myself. Um, more on on the client end of things. It is a great system. It's a great tool, and I know it's only getting better. Um, I guess that's um, a big coaching aid, if you like, as a coach, to have a system which helps you communicate that to the clients, which helps you manage those systems, I guess, and, and also customize them um, from, from what I've seen and, and what I've heard. How um, do you manage adherence uh, with, with your clients uh, from someone, I guess, that is a little bit, or a clientele which is a bit more challenging? What are some strategies that you found, not only just in your own experience, but maybe you've learned from your fellow coaches, which help a client obviously stick to the program a little bit more sustainably? Um, is there any specifics there that, that, that you could maybe throw out and, and sort of share? From a coach's end, I, I guess there's sort of two things that I've really found worked well. And the first one being care. A client has to really show that you genuinely care for everything they're doing and you're trying from your coaching end to provide or, or make things as achievable and maintainable for them in their longevity. That, that's a really, really important thing is showing you care enough. And the second, I guess, is um, maintaining or achieving longevity in something. So whether that means they may need to really follow a flexible approach or they may need to touch base with you more frequently on any changes that are required, whether they need some occupation or lifestyle-specific factors taken into account in their nutrition. And that, that there ties into your care factor. I think when it comes to, as a coach, working and building someone's adherence and understanding the importance of compliancy really does often can sometimes come from the coaching end and showing they really care and that you're willing to provide 120% to them if they're willing to just give you 100%. And often not, that is so complimentary to a client that you'll find their motivation to move forward sees that, okay, this coach is willing to provide the flexibility and willing to, is really working hard to try and meet all the demands and the maintain, maintainability I need for this nutrition aspect or and training as well, obviously. So the longevity of this is increasing. Um, and they can see the sustainability of it. And there's, there's no stress associated. They generally want to do what they want to do. And one thing I guess also important to note is that can sometimes possibly become the case for anyone starting out. And as your reputability and reputation increases, you'll, you'll find that you will have more face-to-face time and, and be in contact with more clients who are really understand that principle and really get that relationship and, and the importance of adherence and abiding by protocols that are set, um, providing all is, is adhered to correctly. Mm-hmm. So I guess, again, if you're giving 120% and the client sees that you have the buy-in, that is generally something mm-hmm. that aids their buy-in as well because they see, like you said, it's a complementary you know, commitment, a uh, work ethic, uh, a, a principle, if you like, of professionalism. And because of that, the client feels, I guess, more obligated to comply. 
and perhaps even more motivated, if we could use that word as well, um, to be able to go forth. And and I guess it's a bit of a an action reaction, isn't it, Liam? Uh, where you know sometimes you get people who you know you, you can see they have a little bit of apprehension, especially if they've come on board and they have a lot of you know prior knowledge which may not meet or may not align with what you're coaching them on but over time if they do apply themselves with the guidance and professional help of yourself and they see those results they almost go well wow okay now i, I seeing is believing as they say so they you know they get those results and I, and I know a couple of your clients um specifically who i can think of um who have had that happen and they you know kudos to you liam they've, they've got some phenomenal results i've seen a big change and it's almost like it's not that they didn't believe but they have this belief now which is just so much um more in depth and and you can see just the way they carry themselves they've got more confidence um not only in themselves but but you know in their abilities and they they've almost had this like aha movement you can almost see it and they're like wow you know this this really works and if I just apply these simple principles over time with consistency, you know, and commitment and dedication, then the results are inevitable. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I, you know, it, I think it's great that you're able to, I guess, provide that level of service and, and make a positive impact because that's something I think... I don't know what your perception on this. I might get your view on it. But, you know, the industry standard these days... There is just so much information coming back to what we first talked about within the industry, and it can be hard to kind of segregate that as a as even a coach, as even a client. You know, what, who do you listen to? Who do you follow? There's so many gurus out there now. We we have you know we're on <laughs> technology right now, uh, and it's just all at a click of our button. Do you find as a younger athlete, uh, there's any? I guess predispositions or any tests that if you're looking at some knowledge, how do you know if it's legitimate? Is there any things that, you, you know, is there any sort of test that you like to run or anything that ring alarm bells if you're listening to something that you think, oh, hang on, that might not be completely accurate just to get, I guess, a, a better level of knowledge. And I guess for the coaches listening too, where do you, who do you seek knowledge from? Um, apart from your fellow coaches, where, where do you look to to improve? I guess as far as the coaching aspect and I guess reading the rights and understanding quality of service, for me it's always being able to see someone who not only has the knowledge and evidence-based and the experience but also practices everything they say because I find there's so many people out there that practice a lot but lacking knowledge and there's so many people that have an abundance of knowledge but don't necessarily have a physique to show it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just my opinion. I've always liked to be able to adhere to someone who could show me both because I feel that it is so important to match the two, to tee the two up. You can have the most sound textbook knowledge, but unless you've actually walked through the steps of what something feels like doing, I think it's just so hard to really speak from experience or be able to speak on the term of a client. So for a lot of the time, if it's, if it's you know, from we're working through something with a particular individual, if I've been in their shoes, I generally have a pretty good understanding of maybe the best way to get out of it and the best way as a coach to approach it as well because, okay, textbook says X and you're not abiding by this. Well, you need to do this. But it's there is, a, there is I guess, a lot more to what there might be on paper. Mm-hmm. So until you've actually experienced and walked through something, you can really, truly speak from the abundance. And I guess as far as data goes or information that's put out there, 
in this day and age with the fitness industry probably being more of a business industry where money takes a lot more precedence over quality of service does, unfortunately, but mm-hmm. that doesn't abide by a lot of things these days uh, as money does make the world go around. I probably like to look at anecdotal research as being the priority. So is it backed up by positive evidence? Is it supported by anecdotal research? Um, what year was it released in? Where was it released by? Some of those sort of things you might want to question. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. even still, we can't necessarily, no one can necessarily any, state anything in stone because chances are either one, we don't know enough about something or there's a question that still hasn't been answered, or two, it's only a matter of time before a new study gets released and proves that study wrong. So we base things off what we know now and we, I guess you have to look at things from an open book and you tie the protocols that you're aware of and you know this is what's worked with evidence, but we are always progressing as individuals. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important to never take the approach that the more you learn, the less there is to know. I think the more you learn, the more you realise there is to know. There is always so much more that someone can know and I think taking that humblistic and open approach to things is really, really important because you're never going to be as stubborn and you're going to be willing to learn more and you will learn more. Because um, I think it's the people that feel as though they, they know enough that will refrain from things and sometimes the knowledge can become outdated as there's more and more stuff coming to the forefront, which is really important that everyone gets started up on it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely, I like what you said there about being humble and willing to learn. As the saying goes, if you think you know it all, you, you know nothing and because we all yeah. know there's always more to learn. I really, I'm glad you mentioned anecdotal. I, I want to just kind of, um, pick out that a little bit in a second but I gotta once again I've got to agree with what you said in terms of marrying up between the knowledge and the practical in terms of we we have people in the industry that may have a lot of knowledge um, but again have very little practical application or physically not a lot to show for it and then mm. we have the other side where people you know or physiques may take precedence and they look fantastic but when they start talking or presenting information, it, it doesn't really kind of align with the physique that they've got. And I guess something that I have also always looked at for me is people who can walk the walk and talk and talk, to, to use another saying. Um, and again, I'm, I know there are outliers. I know there are some phenomenal coaches out there in the industry, which, you know, they're not out of shape, but, you know, whether we can say it's genetics obviously that plays a role but um it is my belief that if you work hard and you have that knowledge you can still achieve something progressive um, mm. no matter what your genetics so again yeah i think i really like that point and um, that you make liam I want to highlight that i think for mm. any coaches athletes listening that is a great way to qualify um if you are looking of said person for knowledge is look at what they are doing, what they are presenting, and and see if that the physical aligns with the the, the mental or the knowledge aspect of things as well going forward. And and maybe there's sometimes when you miss gaps. And I've I have had some experience where I've been at fitness conventions over the years, and I've looked up to said athletes, and I have been disappointed when I've chatted to them, and I've realised that maybe the knowledge that went along with it wasn't quite there. And, and I guess I was very naive and I was very young. Like, you know, a lot of us have been and, you know, we may have looked up to idols and then you maybe realize the truth. So I think it's important to kind of acknowledge that. And it's not to downplay anything or anyone. It's just, the, I guess, the reality of it. And and to go back about the point you made about anecdotal um, evidence and research, I think this is really important because 
I don't know if you would agree or notice this, Liam, but it seems that this evidence-based approach, which is phenomenal, is becoming a term. It's becoming a coin term, which people are just kind of throwing around now um, a little bit too lavishly um, to the point where it's like people going, well, it's evidence-based. Yeah, but yeah. What, what, that's, like I said, I said it could be evidence-based, but it might be <laughs> next week that a new study gets released and it's, it's no longer exists anymore. So it's it's only what we know in this point in time, but you can never, no one can ever really speak with 100% certainty on anything. You're always 99%. That's it, right? And I guess it's like you said, and you use the language and, and the way you speak and the way you communicate, you can only mm-hmm. keywords, recommend, guide, you know, give advice based on, like you said, what we know from current research, from perhaps unbiased research, from more legitimate sources. But as we know, as not only health practitioners, but as sports scientists, we have to look at things from an unbiased approach. And it is our job to present the information in an unbiased way, but also to critically think, analyze that information and be able to separate fact from fiction and then communicate that in a way for our clients and apply it in a way that, again, is effective. And if it isn't, you know, maybe going, well, hang on, you know, we, we don't have enough evidence or, you know, anecdotal evidence to, to support that. And then maybe we need to go and do some more fact-finding or maybe, like you said, there's a new, you know, body of research that has enough evidence and maybe if we can test it in a safe way, we, we can, you know, I guess advocate doing that as well. In terms of anecdotal evidence, though, where do you think... Um, in your experience, you've had some crossovers between what has supposedly, maybe you've, you've, in your studies, you know, you've learned something and you've gone, right, this is the principle, but you've coached people for a fairly decent period of time now, where the anecdotal evidence, the in-person, the experience that you've had has outruled that. Do you think there's any, like, main areas where that <laughs> kind of doesn't ring true, you know, where the experience plays better? than the the evidence i think maybe for me uh comp prep is <laughs> that is a is a great example sometimes that doesn't align because there's so much individualization um, it's huge i'm constantly asking myself questions um and i'm debating about a thousand things in my head as to why this occurs um it really does there's there's so many we could talk about but i guess if there's one that we could touch on that i recognize just recently, mm-hmm. um, is basically coming down to yeah to dieting and, and I guess our I guess what we know, but how much we really just don't know about dieting. Yeah. And I've I've heard the term I just got a, got sorry heard the term just got thrown around just recently. Someone saying um you know they they put on a decent amount of weight and they said oh I haven't been eating enough but I've been putting on weight. And I thought hang on that, that doesn't work. You you can't not eat enough but gain weight. You mm-hmm. can't just pull energy out of thin air and all of a sudden be at a caloric surplus. It doesn't work like that. You, get, you hear that term get thrown around a lot. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. It, it, it's it's wrong. Technically, it's wrong. It, from from what we know, it's wrong. You, that you, to, to put weight on, you must be eating a surplus. To gain to lose weight, you must be eating a deficit. Relatively basic. And for the most of us, we understand that. However, one thing that I've really noticed is that reverse dieting a lot of my clients, and this is evidence, I, I guess this is experience-based, if you want to term. Yeah, sure. More reversing, anecdotal. Reversing individuals out of out of comp prep phase is that you'll find that you will you'll increase food, provided someone is exceptionally adherent, um, and you'll find that you increase food over a period of time that from what you know or from what evidence and anecdotal research suggests, they're eating at a surplus, but they've still lost body fat and lost weight. Mm-hmm. And 
there's something that I guess is a little bit of a flaw or there's a bit of a gap in the research and I guess that's why a lot of my approach is now leading people into shows that I will try and refeed them in if, they, if they're in the position, position to do so yeah. because I know that from experience with working with individuals that we work them from a deficit to technically or numerically what's classified as a surplus but they've actually lost weight and they've lost body fat. And mm. Yes, we can say, okay, there's, you know, there's a bigger thermic effect with food and okay, maybe they're not as hungry so there's lower stress and cortisol and um, ghrelin, all the you know, things that we know that we can tie in and possibly elude. Okay, that's maybe why. But I'm talking pretty significant. Like you can almost double someone's food or get it higher to where they were, where they were at a point in time, and the body composition has gotten better or they've gotten leaner, and mm. it's almost like well, where's where's the gap here? Um, but I guess that's unfortunately gets misconceptually perceived by people that think, oh, um, I've been gaining weight, I just haven't been eating enough. Yeah. Um, so not necessarily, probably just haven't been eating correctly. So that's that's just one that's just one thing that I guess this week I've been just thinking a lot about, sort of trying, and I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe if there is increase in their food, there's a greater thermic effect associated there. Mm. Um, they're less stressed, so they might be moving around a little bit more. Then there's not as much cortisol because they don't feel like they're dieting anymore. Perhaps their training performance has increased a lot because they've got more energy in the system. Yes, all those factors, but there's this still a bit of a hole. Yes. Um, that's it's a bit of a grey area, isn't it? Yeah, and that's why we can't really speak with certainty um, and say, you know, this is this because of. It's mm. like, well, this might have occurred because we acknowledge these factors here and we're trying to marry up the results. Um, but, you know, sometimes I just sit there with my hands on the air and think, oh, I don't know. <laughs> 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 and and, I, and I, think it's, I think it's really important as a coach to sometimes be, that's okay to say, be like, oh, yeah. I just don't I, I don't know. We we can we can follow we can follow what we know, and we can work with the individual and and practice and work with multiple different types and different experiences and apply that as best as we can. But a lot of times you just sit there thinking, I don't know why that occurred. Yeah. Um, but you know you learn from it, and maybe you might be able to marry it up with something and say, oh, perhaps it might have been like this, or we know this next, next, next. Mm. So yeah. Yeah, and I, and I guess if um, you know when it happens again, because it will, <laughs> you yeah. will be better equipped to deal with it. And then over time, because again, you can't buy experience. You can go, well, hang on, this, I this is a pattern. It's a trend. Again, we might not have any scientific evidence on it right. at this point, but then we go, well, hang on. But I've got enough experience to know that for all my years of coaching, this happens when in this phase of coaching um, or, or in comp prep, if you like, in that in that stage where we can actually increase food. Um, yeah. and, and it is it's something that I've listened to a few podcasts on I think one of the, the best ways or some, some of the light shed on it is by Dr. Joe Klemzeski, the diet doc um, he's one of the original I guess <laughs> guys who coined flexible dieting if you like and he's very very knowledgeable but yeah they were, they were talking about how he, he refeeds a lot of his athletes he will always have that in the plan his plan is always to get them to a point where they are eating up into stage because of the exact points you just made, Liam, their body yeah. composition improves. But not only that, uh, I guess you you start to reverse only a minute, you know, um, mm. uh, minute um, effects or negative effects of, of dieting, if you like. But also, I guess at that point in time, you know, the body is in a very starved state. Having someone on a little bit more food not only allows you to top them up and, and perhaps have a more accurate um, peak week strategy. 
and mm. that is a little bit more reliable. But also, the going into the competitions with more food, that, that's not only good for mood, energy, and confidence, but it also mm. helps, as you know, the reverse diet afterwards, which is, you know, yeah. if not more challenging for most people. So, yeah, it's interesting you've been pondering that. And again, a great example of anecdotal versus evidence-based approach um, in, in terms of in terms of coaching as well. Um, yeah. oh, but there the, might be some studies with rat studies and stuff, but yeah. it's um, still not 100% applicable. Exactly. We, we, you know, we know some things about you know, human mammals and how they respond to dieting and starvation and stuff, but I guess it's good that we're seeing refeeding or more, more food become present a lot. Like I know when I did my first prep, over eight weeks I had one refeed and it was unstructured. And, and my last prep I was refeeding two to three times per week. Yeah. So and it was in a lot better position. Yeah. I, well, I guess just on that quick point, and it, it's, you know, prep to prep, things will differ, things will change. For example, what you did, maybe your first prep, your second prep, and obviously, you know, you will do another one in the future. There's obviously mm -hmm. going to be little logistical things that change. You can't take the gospel. I mean, you can use, would it be fair to say, you know, again, that external evidence that you've learn from your previous preps and apply it but at the same time you've got to be open for change because not only is your body composition going to be you know more advanced but perhaps mm. some of the tools that we apply are going to be a little bit different because maybe we have more knowledge now in 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 two or three years or whenever you decide or to compete absolutely I think that it's a, it's a combination there of, you know, knowing or I guess being updated with what's come to the forefront and mm. then also taking into play and saying, well, this is what worked for me last time and perhaps mm. I could marry it up and do something more efficiently um, and then move forward from there. Yeah, no, that's, that makes sense. Um, so I've got um, one, a couple more major questions. I'm going to ask you sort of one major question, then a couple of rapid fire and then a, and then a main one before we go because... Um, you know, we're getting close to an hour soon, um, which has been great, and uh, we do appreciate your time, Liam. Now, in terms of your accolades, now, 2018, what a year for you, you know, um, amazing achievements, undeniable, great success, you know, being able to go to Las Vegas and, and compete on the, you know, one of the best natural bodybuilding stages there is. Um, have, after having those achievements um, and, and sort of getting to that level and being recognized as a professional, which was well-deserved, you know, I was, I was privileged enough to share the stage with you um, for yeah. a couple of those moments, which was, was, was awesome and, and a great learning curve. Um, what, what are your plans for the future? Um, maybe is there any sort of quick recaps on 2018 and then going forward? Um, what are your goals? I mean, you mentioned um, before we started, you've got a, a powerlifting meet coming up. But um, maybe, yeah, for, give us a bit of a snapshot of, you know, 2018 wrap-up and then, you know, sort of onwards and upwards for Liam. What, what, what's on the cards? Mm, well, yeah, I guess you summarise it for me. 2018 for me was I was very grateful to be in a good position and um, had a good lifestyle factors and everything sort of teed up for me very well and I was lucky that I worked very hard and I'd compete again this year. I genuinely just loved it and, and mm. I've just grown my passion for the sport so much. But... The one thing is, and I guess it's tied back to a lot of stuff that we touched on, is that I learned that the reason that that year was so good for me is because of what I did before that for two damn years where I thought yeah. I was getting absolutely nowhere every day. 
and that's what I've, it's so important, especially if I was to speak to, to younger individuals, that you just have to be so willing to invest so much time, energy, effort, money, um, time of your day into something to yield that, that long term. So mm-hmm. I'm going to hopefully copy and paste that as I move forward. So I'm going to possibly look at another good two years of, of um, really just getting back into enjoying training. To be honest, I, I compete because I love training. Um, I would be lying if I told you I really enjoy every aspect of comp prep. I enjoy, <laughs> I enjoy the components of it, but as a whole, it's not the funnest time in your life. Um, but I compete because I generally training. I, I don't have to tell myself that, and I don't have to pretend I do. Just for me, mentally, it's just such an com- important component of my life. So I want to really work hard and do, hopefully, if not better, for my last off season and move forwards. And I've put things into place, such as powerlifting competitions. We'll see how I go. I wouldn't call myself a powerlifter yet, but the, 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 the principle is there that I'm trying to get as strong as I can. And because I know that worked last time, um, and then perhaps maybe um, sort of follow a similar path as I did last time and get up there and hopefully look better. Yeah. Yeah, some uh, a lot of valuable things you said there. Um, not only for young coaches and athletes, but just for athletes in general. Um, like you said, you, you, I think it's great. You know, you don't see that progress sometimes until it's stripped back, and it's what you do in the off season that actually counts when you're on the stage. It's it's not obviously the shred. That is obviously an important factor, but that is more presenting your physique rather than, than building it. So yeah, no great takeaways, Liam. Um, and yeah. some, um, some, some rapid fire questions, um, just really fun, quick ones. What is, what, what are your favorite foods? What are some of your favorite foods in prep, um, versus in the gaining, uh, um, sort of phases in prep, probably to pass for the first half of prep, uh, was pizzas. I mm-hmm. just loved homemade pizzas. I used to do homemade pizzas or burritos towards the end of prep. It was the basics. You really just enjoy <laughs> basic stuff. Potato. Like uh, if I just had like three hundred grams of white potato, I was a, I was a happy man. So I guess there was in in prep the palatability and the accuracy of my taste buds probably wasn't replicatable <laughs> to a normal human being. If I had some of those foods now, I'd probably gag. That's but true. pretty basic <laughs> volume is probably my 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 favorite food in compre. Um, <laughs> yeah. I've, I've been more of a savory person rather than sweet tooth. So in off season, um, I generally just do enjoy the same things. I'm pretty basic with my nutrition. Pizzas are probably my favorite. Homemade pizzas I do just about five times a week. I just really, really enjoy. I like that I can get heaps of vegetables and all these nice little micronutrients and I tell myself it's really, really healthy. Technically it is because I'm making myself. So yeah. I enjoy that. I'm a savory sort of person. It's easy to get my calories in. It's very palatable. Um, and I'm eating for performance. I'm not eating for satisfaction in my off season. I'm eating so that I can train better. That's yeah. that's my mindset. So I'm, I eat so that I can I can be strong the next day. For sure, for sure. So again, just basic, simple, nutritious foods that are going to get you towards your goals, whether that's in comp prep or off season. Yeah, yeah. No, awesome, dude. Um, big fan of pizza myself. I think it's a, it's a great one. I think a lot of people love that. Um, basics are best. So uh, another quick rapid fire question: If you could wake up anywhere in the world tomorrow, where would you wake up and why? Oh. Probably back in Las Vegas, I think, or yeah. back in back in that, that that bodybuilding scene. It was um, it was just such a cool experience. And yeah. that was half the reason I went over there to compete at the Natural Olympia because I literally got to like live and breathe, like watching those YouTube videos that I did as a kid, watching Kai Green and Ronnie Coleman and Jay Cutler wear like 
all their life is is just bodybuilding. Nothing else exists as bodybuilding. It was really, really cool to be there again. So if I could wake up, it would probably be back, back competing in America because it was literally, for that period of time I was there, all that mattered was competing. And it was just so cool to be able to get up. And the only thing I had to worry about that day was training and a bit of posing and how I was looking. It was just a really cool experience. I was... I felt like I was walking on the dream that I've just I've always looked up to. It'd be just such a cool thing to do, yeah. and I've idolised and watched all, all my all my B idols be able to do. And that was something that I was advised by my coach Nathan. He said, "Liam, do it. It'll be such an amazing experience. You get to go over there, and you literally just get to feel like an awesome athlete. Um, and you know, you come home with some great accolades and some great some great memories. And uh, that's the yeah, I come home and I was like, oh, I want to go straight back there and do all that again. But unfortunately, <laughs> I have to wait three years and get better. <laughs> so. But I'm sure it'll be worth it. I hope so. Yeah. No, that's that's a good answer. I like that, and I can understand. I guess, like you said, um, uh, you know, maybe it's like it, the dream come true, right? Because it's kind of a bit of a macker over there for bodybuilding, mm. and and like you said, when you're surrounded by so many like-minded people, and I know you met some great athletes and some great people, some great coaches out there too. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I guess it is. It just adds to that experience, so that's understandable. Um. Mm. So one, one, my last major question um, is more of a serious one. And I want you to, what is a, a fear that you've had um, in your life, in your coaching career, um, that you've had to overcome? Something that might have been a major bit of adversity or it might have been a limiting belief, just a main fear that you've had that you've overcome. What was it and how did you overcome it and, and how has it benefited you now going forward to, to where you are today? For me, I guess it's um, it's lack of ability, and that's probably applicable to my me as a, as an athlete as well. It's mm-hmm. self doubt. I've always, and I think everyone always does, but I've become a lot better at managing it, and that's the ants. And I sort of term in the ants the automatic negative thoughts, mm-hmm. and it's just that constant doubt, and it's it seems to be the first thing that goes into your mind. And I find. A lot of people can experience it. Sometimes can be associated with sort of anxiety that it's just you just get this cloud of this negative this, this negative doubt or that you're either not good enough or you're not doing the right thing. But the way I've learned to, I guess, alleviate the best is acknowledge that if I'm controlling absolutely everything I can within my power, that is absolutely all I can do. Mm-hmm. If I am working as hard as I possibly can, controlling every variable possible, I've ticked every aspect of a coach and looked at it from multiple multiple different shoots and, and applied all the knowledge I have, that is all I physically am capable of doing at that point on. That is all I can do. And it's that it's that if I can if I can tick that box, then I, I, there's no point in being concerned about it. There's no point doubting myself about it and there's no point second guessing myself about it because that's only going to put me backwards. And I've learned that as on the athlete end and on the coach end. And um, I'm, I'm not perfect at it. I'll be the first to admit that I'm not perfect at it, but I'm learning and getting better at managing it. So, yeah. Yeah, but very honest and humble an- and humble answer there, Liam. Um, and, and, yeah, <laughs> what a, I think that's something we can all relate to as well. Um, and, and, yeah, very, very honest too. You know, I think a lot of people will connect with that. And, and thank you for sharing. And, and I think that is a fantastic way to, to end uh, the podcast um, I'm sure we could talk a lot more in all day and perhaps we will do a bit of a round two Liam um, thank you for sharing your knowledge and your time um, where can people find you more about you um, your coaching your services if they want to follow along and, and learn a bit more from you and follow your journey um, so I, as you might see from, from my shirt that yeah, I'm, I'm 
from Hold Your Own. So uh, we're located in in, in Burley Heads mm-hmm. in Gold Coast, mm-hmm. and you can contact us on our Hold Your Own Facebook page, our Instagram, or you can email me directly, which is just Liam at holdrone.com.au and that's generally my best point of contact or, or follow my socials it's just Liam Bygott um, so yeah I'm always more than happy to answer any questions anyone has or provide any any information and hopefully get some of my my, my knowledge out there fantastic and, and we'll make sure that uh, I'll put all those links in the show notes as well guys for anyone watching and listening and uh, be sure to follow Liam's journey and again reach out because he's got a lot of great knowledge to share He's one of the real deal guys in the industry, and uh, I think we benefit from having more people like you, Liam. So thank you once again for your time. Um, I look forward to seeing um, your journey, uh, myself, uh, and all your future accolades as well. So, um, yeah. I'll, uh, Thanks for your time, Alex. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, you're very welcome. Thank you very much, Liam.